Good morning. So good to be here with you all, and thank you, Pastor Doug, for sharing that. And um, yeah, co-pastor Trinitas Church with my husband, and they, one of our communities serves at the downtown YMCA, which has like 137 residential houses um, for people transitioning out of homelessness there. And so we host a, a worship gathering there for them um, in the foyer every Sunday morning. And so that's normally where I am. Uh, my family is there today while I'm here with you. Um, but it's, it's an honor for me to be able to share in this experience of worship together here as well. Um, you saw our three girls. Yeah, it's the, the littlest one being held was the one that was in my belly last time I was here and um, grown so fast. I was trying to remember before they told me it was four years ago. I was like, I know, when was the last time I was there? And, you know, it, I knew it was pre-pandemic, but that kind of means nothing in my mind right now, except for pre and post, right? Like, even though we're not really post, but just like pre. Um, but so it, that was kind of my reference point, and then they reminded me, and I was like, oh, yeah, like I was really going any day. Like I was actually praying. That wouldn't, it would not happen while I was speaking. Um, so that was, that was good. Um, but our, our, our family, we, we really live these missional lives, and our three little girls, uh, I often like to say, are our co-pastors. So um, they have their own little ministries going on with people um, in places we go, and they're a blessing to us and to so many others. And uh, I know that my family would be here if they could this morning um, with me, but they're there serving today. Um, Today, um, actually before I start, and this is really random, but I have been impressed this morning. I'm going to say this before I get started. I've been really impressed this morning as we were praying that I don't know if somebody here has like an, a leg injury or something going on like in their leg. But if, if that's you and your right leg and you have some problems there and you just need healing, um, I would encourage you to pray with someone at the end of the service today because I think God sees you and, and hears your pain and <laughs> sees your pain. So um, anyway, that's a side note, but I, I didn't want to not say it just in case. So um, today is, uh, in our culture, it's Mother's Day, right? So we're celebrating culturally Mother's Day um, in the calendar. But in the church calendar, this is still the continuation of the Easter season. So technically, we're in the fourth uh, Sunday of Easter, where we're continuing to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And that takes us really all the way up until Pentecost, which is June 5th. Um, but today, we're kind of going to do um, a hodgepodge of things, and we're going to kind of combine these two ideas, and that's going to lead us through our message and our talk this morning. Um, one, of the, one of my very favorite ways to think about God in Scripture is about this mothering heart that God has. And I saw the passage on the Scripture, um, of the, the scripture passage earlier, Isaiah 66, 13, I think it was, um, is an example of that, but there are others. Um, but the mothering heart of God is one that births life and new creation. The mothering heart of God is a heart of love. It's a heart of compassion and fierce protection. It's a heart of dedication and devotion, a heart that nurtures and cares. Even if we haven't experienced that with our own mothers, that is the mothering heart of God. That's the character and nature of the mothering heart of God. And so often in the Bible and in conversations, we only hear about God as Father, but the truth is that there are lots of scripture passages that picture God as mother. As I gave you the example, the one that was already there, um, 
But it can also be seen in the beginning of time as God births forth creation, giving life to a formless, empty world, just as a mother gives birth to new life in the womb. It can be seen in the stories of God leading and guiding the people of Israel as well. In Deuteronomy, it says, He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. God with a mothering heart can be seen in Hosea 11.4, where it says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. And the picture of God as a mother can even be seen in the New Testament in many forms as well, but especially in the descriptions of discipleship. You, you may not have made that connection or thought about it in that way, but in John 4, 7, for example, it says, everyone who loves is born of God. John 16, 21 says, God is bringing forth a new humanity like the pangs of a woman in labor. Her hour has come. Acts 17 refers to the, the passage that says, in God we live and move and have our being. A mothering heart is very important. And to understand God in that way is really important. I can think of lots of different ways why, but there seems to be this connection to new life that comes from the womb that we can kind of draw those connections to. A womb doesn't have to be referring to a physical womb. It can be reflective of many ideas or metaphors, as we will talk about it today. But if you think about it, in a very real sense, in the physical way, uh, the, the womb is a dark place, a place where there's no clarity or vision, a place of transition and change, of growth and development of new life, but also at the same time where the future isn't certain or it isn't known. It's interesting to me that when a baby is born, there's still this attachment uh, to the life inside the womb. They have a cord that's still connected, and the attachment to the former things is there, and yet the new life, the life in the light, is all around them and um, right in front of them. But the only way to experience that new life is to cut the cord and to be set free into what's ahead. And so we think about the mothering heart of God and this Easter season kind of all wrapped up together. And I want us to reflect on the wombs in our life and the new things Jesus is giving birth to in and through the resurrection life and what that means for us today. So I'm going to read a passage that's often read for Easter itself on the, the celebration of the Easter service. But I think it's really applicable for us here today as well. And it's John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one, on, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had, that he had said these things to her. I wonder if you have ever held on to something too tightly. Our little girls, when they were little, when they were um, even littler than now, toddler babies, um, they would always try to hug and squeeze our little teeny Shih Tzu dog named Katie. And um, of course, not knowing their own strength, they would end up practically squeezing the life out of her because they were just trying to love her so much, right? They almost loved her to death. And much to Katie's discomfort, she did not like it at all. They just squeezed too tightly. And it seems that, like my children, that oftentimes we can physically hold on to, to things too tightly at times in our lives. Uh, like somebody who gives a really big bear hug, right, and they take your breath away and you like, really want them to stop because it's just too much. Or like somebody who shakes your hand and it feels like they're crushing the bones in your hand, right, it's like just too firm of a grip. Um, and I also think about just like M&Ms and how you squeeze them and they get sweaty in your hand and the dye starts to stay in your hand but you just want to keep them because you don't want to lose any and I don't really know anything. I mean, I'm just told that's what happens sometimes. That's never <laughs> happened to me. But um, we just tend to hold things too tightly. But even beyond physically, there also seems to be a way that we hold on to things um, like ideas or concepts or even images or identities in our life that also somehow, when they get squeezed too tightly, have the potential to steal life from us. I know I can relate to that. In 2005, I had encountered Jesus in a, a really profound way. I was, I was following Jesus at the time, but I had this moment of encounter where God gave me a picture about what I would be doing in the future, and it was different than what I had been doing before. See, I had been a teacher for a, about five years at this point. I had been teaching, and I had gone to school to get a master's degree in curriculum and instruction, and I was set to keep advancing my career in the world of education. And then, one day, God gave me this strange picture of me preaching and tells me that this is what he's calling me to do. I had never had a desire to preach. I never had the imagination to think about myself as a preacher. Never, like, saw myself even speaking in front of adults. I did really bad in speech class in high school. So, like, I just thought, this, this is not for me, right? I, and, and also, I just would have never felt worthy enough for what, at that time, I esteemed to be a really high call, and, you know, you had to be a certain kind of person to kind of step into that role. And now I jokingly say about my husband, like, we're two pastors married, and I realize we're just all messed up, right? <laughs> we're all just humans, just doing our best. 
But having that powerful encounter with God, I knew it must be true. And while I hadn't ever imagined or expected this kind of thing, I began to construct my life around this calling. Like my decisions that I started making were all towards like, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing, so I'm making these choices. So after that, that year, because it kind of happened in the middle of the school year, at the end of that school year, I left teaching and, and pursued some other things. And then after a short time, I ended up finally getting a job at a church working with youth. And eventually I started seminary and I felt like, good, like this was me moving forward and things were going well and I'm doing what God called me to do. But then through some really unfortunate circumstances, um, some hurtful times at a church I had been working at, after about five years on staff there, I ended up having to say goodbye. And I had to leave, and I kind of had to leave quickly, and I didn't have another job to go to. I felt lost, I felt broken, I felt scared about how I would support myself and how I would even pay my bills. Like I was single at that time, I didn't know how I was gonna survive. And in a random encounter, I ended up meeting with my former principal that I had worked with, and she invited me to come and teach with her again in that upcoming year because they, had, they were getting ready to start the school year, actually. Um, it was a very short time out. It was just a few weeks out, and they still hadn't filled a position, so she asked me to come and, and teach. And it's, it's probably an understatement to say that I dreaded this. <laughs> Uh, I had sold almost all of my teaching supplies, which were many that I had gathered together over time. I had gotten rid of everything because I was set to live this new life, you know, in ministry. And so I got rid of my resources. I saw myself as a pastor. I, I also knew the landscape of education, and I didn't feel like I had it in me to go back if that wasn't my calling. Like, I didn't have it in me to sustain how difficult it was if it really wasn't my passion and if I didn't feel like it was purposeful. And so it just felt like I was going backwards in life. But needless to say, I ended up going back to teaching that year out of necessity. And it was truly an awful year. <laughs> There's no mistaking, it was an awful year. And, and I couldn't understand why God would call me out of education just to send me back. It made no sense to me. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. It didn't seem to fit this picture I had held so tightly for the last five to six years prior to this. And so at the end of that difficult year, I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I resigned again. And then through a series of circumstances with one gap year in between, I ended up going back to the classroom another time for the third time at a different school in the same district. So there I was again, taking another step backwards in my mind. Looking back now, in hindsight, I was holding on so tightly to the ways in which I thought things would happen to the ways that things in my mind were supposed to play out. Like once I answered this call, you know, to, to do ministry in the ways that God had called me to, um, the ways that they made sense to me, the ways that I had known them. I was so focused on that and holding so tightly to that that I couldn't recognize that, that God was doing something in my life even in that moment. He was doing some things in a different way even then, but I couldn't see it. I learned so much during that time about myself, about leadership, about myself in leadership, about my ideas of success, and so much more, learning that has still impacted me today. But at that time, I was holding on so tightly to my own ideas about things that I couldn't see any of it. 
I missed what God was up to. I felt like the life was literally being squeezed out of me. I just wanted to go back to, to what made sense to me, to what was comfortable, to when I didn't feel like my life was a mess and out of control and didn't have direction, a time when I felt like I, I was more successful or where my identity was secure and what I was doing in the world. I wonder if anybody can relate to any of that. Asitius of Jerusalem, who was an elder in the 5th century, uh, wrote in an Easter homily about Jesus. Hidden first in, in a womb of flesh, he sanctified human birth by his own birth. Hidden afterward in the womb of the earth, he gave life to the dead by his resurrection. It is often in the darkness of the wombs of our lives, the places where life is formed and cultivated, but it isn't readily visible to the naked eye when God is doing some of the most profound things and bringing about some of the most profound resurrections in life. Sometimes we're just holding too tightly to see it. In John's narration of Jesus' resurrection encounters, we see Mary, after realizing Jesus is there in front of her in his resurrected body, holding tightly to Jesus. And of course she would. (laughs) I mean, really, who wouldn't? After watching a beloved friend who'd be brutalized and, and beaten and misunderstood and crucified, and there was nothing she could do about it, after watching him die, realizing his body is then missing from the tomb, only to turn and see him there in front of you alive, like, who... Who of us wouldn't be clinging with all of our strength to the loved one, right? I mean, that just seems like a normal reaction. And yet, yet Jesus tells Mary, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And, And Jesus isn't telling her, like, physically, like, don't touch me, like, get your hands off me, right? Um, Or that he is untouchable. After all, shortly after this, he invites Thomas to touch his scars as the proof of the resurrection. It seems more uh, more likely here that, that Jesus is telling Mary that she can't hold too tightly to his physical body that's standing in front of her because this physical body came with all kinds of ideas and assumptions on Mary's part. I mean, you can imagine that that embrace of the resurrected Jesus, um, it, that, that it came along with some thoughts with Mary, and, and probably the first thought um, was not only that he was alive, but that things could go back to the way they were. She had even called him Rabboni, or teacher, because that's how she knew him. She was identifying, identifying him as she knew him before. It was familiar. And if, if he's alive again, then we can go back to living life the way it was before. The celebration, you know, that Mary was having in this moment for the life and the body and this relationship with Jesus um, was was rooted in what she knew and what was familiar, that his life was lost and now it was was alive again. And and Jesus must kind of, he gets Mary, right? He kind of knows that she's making these connections in her mind because he says, don't hold on to me because I'm returning to the Father. In other words, he's saying, yes, I'm alive, but, the, but things aren't going to be the exact same anymore. I'm going to go away in this physical form. So don't, t- don't hold too tightly to me because things have changed. They're not going back to the way they were. And, and again, Mary isn't completely off. There is some continuity between like Jesus before and this resurrected Jesus. But there's also some discontinuity. 
We can see it in Jesus' physical body itself. Some things are similar enough that when Mary and then the disciples just after this, they don't recognize Jesus right away, but they do resonate with his voice, right, when he speaks. And then with his familiar scars. He is in his physical body, but his physical body isn't exactly the same um, because after all, he like miraculously steps into rooms without like going through the door. Like he just has a, there's something different about it. There's also some relational discontinuity. Jesus is going away. He isn't going to relate to the disciples in the same way anymore. He is back for now, uh, but he is sending his spirit and he won't be physically present in the way that he has been up to this point. And at the same time, the relational status that they have, uh, the disciples have with Jesus gets an upgrade. The disciples go from being his friends to being his brothers. There's like continuity and discontinuity happening all at the same time. Mary wanted to hold on to the continuity that she was familiar with. She wanted to return to what she knew. And that's not kind of some kind of negative reflection on Mary because Mary is a powerhouse. Her love and devotion uh, is, is tangible in ways that I aspire to. She is an apostle to the apostles. And at some point, she does understand more clearly. But for the moment, she's holding on too tightly. And instead of this being a criticism, it's really just a reflection on the ways that in, in our human nature, we all do this. We all naturally want to hold on to things that are comfortable to us, things that we know and are familiar with, things that are clear. We desire to hold tightly to our identities within relationships or careers or to a certain status. And let me be clear, it's not just like some lofty status, like of success. Oftentimes we hold on to identities uh, full of shame, either maybe as an addict or a person of little value or worth or for the things that we have done or maybe haven't been able to do. Sometimes we hold tightly to an identity of a life of struggle and poverty and just hardship, believing that nothing could ever be different. Sometimes we hold on tightly to the identities that others have given us, identities that we have accepted even if they aren't true. We desire to hold tightly, I mean, we see it everywhere. We desire to hold so tightly to our opinions or ways of seeing the world or even our ideas about God and God's character and the way God works in the world because it keeps us feeling like we have a foundation, even if that foundation is faulty. We like to hold tightly to the continuity because the continuity is comfortable. The discontinuity messes us all up. We think about, we have to think about things differently. We, ha we have to listen more and react less. We have to wait and we have to be patient because we don't know the exact ending or the outcome. We haven't been there before. We have to trust and we have to hope when we don't understand or we don't know the answers. We have to navigate unfamiliar territory. And even if the discontinuity brings about something better in our lives, for many of us, if we don't pay attention, the uncomfortability of that will drive us straight back into the old patterns and thoughts and ways of being in the world. But I want to tell you something this morning. It's in the discontinuity, the places where things have changed and shifted, even when some things still remain the same or maybe look the same, where the resurrection is most profoundly experienced. 
when I think of continuity and discontinuity happening simultaneously, I often think of the women I used to serve in uh, Perryville Prison. And I would go in once a week and, and minister to them for about a year and a half I did that. And, and so many of them would give their lives to Jesus and they would experience this freedom and this new life and this just like fullness, right? And, and feeling like the world was so open to them and yet they were still locked up physically. They were still in a physical prison even if their lives were set free. Powerful resurrection stories came out of that time. Powerful transformations of life. God was doing a deep work in the wombs of darkness in the lives of those women. There was continuity and discontinuity. And I bet if we look at our own lives, there's probably some continuity and discontinuity happening in our lives as well. So the question about those spaces is not so much the what, like what is it, but rather the how. How are you responding to it? Are you clinging to the things of the past when the resurrected Jesus is saying, come, come forward. Don't go back. It's a new day. I have a new perspective for you. I'm doing something new in your life. If you don't hold too tightly to the familiarity of the womb and what's back there to what you knew before, you'll, you'll experience it. But just hang on and keep moving forward. And that disorientation and the confusion that you feel in those moments of transition are real. But don't hold too tightly to the past. Because what is ahead is so much greater than anything you knew before. And it won't be easy. It won't always be perfect. It won't always fit our previous ideas and boxes. But it will be good. And it will be right. And it will be beautiful. Because that's who God is. And that's what God does. God does good and beautiful and right things. Author and professor Ben Witherington III says, we are a people of the resurrection. And because of this, old things keep passing away. Like not just once, right? Like they keep passing away. And they keep passing away, but we must not cling to them. We may learn from the past. We may even carry over some of the values of the past, but we cannot live in the past. Isaiah 43, I know so many of you know it. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is doing a new thing. And in my spirit, I feel like that's a word for all of us. I know God is doing new things and he's moving in powerful ways, both in your individual lives, as well as in the church, capital C. God is on the move, and the Spirit is at work. But sometimes we're going to have to let go of the things we're holding really tightly to in order to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God that's ahead. And we have to reflect on that and see what that means for us in our own lives and what does that mean for us corporately as a family in our, in our families like you all have here in our own church family. What does that mean for us? As the beloved child of the Father, as the sisters and brothers of Jesus, there is more to your story than the stories that you've told yourself 
or the stories that you've held tightly to. We are a resurrection people and that changes things. Some areas of your life may look like not much has changed, some things may remain the same, but in the darkness of the womb when it has seemed like nothing is happening, something is happening. God is at work, things are shifting, and if you'll lean into the shift, you'll experience the new life on the other side, the fuller, more beautiful resurrection life. And I know this is scary. This can feel like things are coming undone or like we're out of control. But we don't have to be afraid of what feels unknown. You don't have to fear your new identity or the new things that God might be calling you to or the changes in the way that you are living or the new frameworks or perspectives for seeing others or for seeing the world. We don't have to be afraid of these things. It might be unfamiliar and uncomfortable to you, but it isn't completely unknown. It isn't unknown to the giver of the resurrection life. Your future is bright because you are a resurrection person. And if you don't know that yet, I want to speak that over you today. God hasn't just saved you from some things. God has saved you into some things. And there are some things that are ahead of you that you have yet to experience in this resurrection life. And God wants to do some new things in your life and in the life, again, of the family and the community, the corporate church. There is beauty and there's new life ahead in this family of God that you're a part of. And if you want to hold on to something tightly today, hold on to that. Hold on to that, God, that idea that God is up to something new and he's birthing something out of you as individuals and as the church corporate. God is doing something. But will we let go? This morning, I just want to tell you as we end, you are loved and the resurrected life of Jesus says, let go, I've got more. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, I don't know what the more is. I don't know exactly what it is for us as individuals. I don't know exactly what it is for us as the family of God. But Lord, I believe in my spirit that this is a word from you. I believe that you are at work. I believe that there are many people who are holding on to pain and wounds and identities, and shame, and all kinds of things a little bit too tightly in a way that's keeping them from experiencing the fullness of this resurrected life. And, and I believe it for us corporately as well. Sometimes there's structures of ways of doing things or being in the world that we just hold so tightly to and we don't want to change. And yet if we just let go, there's so much more. So Lord, I don't know what you're speaking um, specifically this morning, but I pray that each of us would pay attention to the ways that you're moving in our lives, the ways that you're challenging us, to the places, help us to pay attention to the places that we need to, the, the places that we need to tend to um, in order to let go and experience the more. 
I pray for healing in this place for anyone who might need it. I pray your uh, infilling, the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come upon people in this room, that they would be washed in your love in a new way. I pray that each of us today would leave here experiencing more of the resurrection life and that, that it wouldn't just be today, but it would be this journey that we continue in going forward. So more of you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.